and welcome to the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm Andy Viano. This week, I'll be joined once again by my colleague Tristan Scott to learn more about his cover story, It's Like Fighting a Ghost, on how life is different for wildland fire crews because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. You can read Tristan's story now at flatheadbeacon.com or in a copy of the paper available for free throughout Northwest Montana. And after I chat with Tristan, stick around for a rundown of the biggest news stories from the last seven days, including the deadly COVID-19 outbreak at a long-term care facility in Whitefish. But first, a reminder that this episode and every episode of this podcast is brought to you by the members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club, our generous readers and listeners who are doing their part to make our locally focused brand of in-depth journalism possible. Membership in the Editors Club comes with some great perks, and it costs as little as $5 per month. To learn more or sign up now, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. All right, time now for our assistant managing editor, Tristan Scott, to step into the hot seat. And I begin by asking him just who the Flathead hotshots are. So the Flathead interagency hotshot crew is a group of wildland firefighters who every summer come together as a unit. They're based out of Hungry Horse. And when there are wildfires, more often than not, these guys are going to be on the ground, cutting line, actually venturing deep into the woods and living with this fire for a period of a week or two uh, in order to to try and suppress it or contain it if it's threatening human lives or structures. In military parlance, a hotshot crew is sort of the elite special forces of the wildland firefighting world. So you'll see helicopters dropping buckets, airplanes dropping fire retardant in an effort to suppress a fire. You have multiple agencies from state and federal governments but these hotshot crews are generally a very fit, younger contingent of firefighters who are able to actually go into the backcountry and, and, and live with the fire for a period of up to a couple of weeks. And usually they're posted out in a fire camp with other units whose duties range from, like I said, bucket drops and administrative stuff to logistics. These guys are actually cut in line packing in chainsaws and, and axes and Pulaski's and McLeod's and they're kind of yeah, they're, they're kind of the badasses of the fire world. And you say they live in these fire camps in a typical year. What's life at a fire camp like? Well, it depends. You know, in the Flathead, we haven't had any really big fires that have required concentrated resources for any extended period of time. But these fire camps can get pretty sophisticated and last weeks or months. You know, even one of the recent fires that I spoke to the Flathead Hotshot crew about was only about 12 acres, and it still required them to be on the scene for a week, uh, living with about 60 other personnel down at the Clearwater Junction south of Sealy Lake. And so, you know, you've got wall tents, and um, it's basically a big, a big camp where these guys live, eat, sleep, and work together. Say so that's in typical years. Obviously, this is uh, an atypical year. Coronavirus has, has changed the way almost everything uh, is done. What were the plans put in place before the wildfire season started for, for what was going to be done differently with these crews to keep them safe and, and to keep 
COVID-19 out of these fire camps. So gearing up for this year's fire season in light of what we knew, you know, in late spring about COVID-19, there were various policy changes made in an effort to try and prevent the spread of COVID-19 through fire camps. The reason being that if there was an outbreak inside of a fire camp, it, it wouldn't just potentially dismantle a single unit. It could really take the entire operation offline. And in a typical fire season nationally, these various agencies come together to fight the biggest and most violent, aggressive fires that are posed the, the highest threat to human lives. And so what we've seen this year is that across the West, there are large fire camps in California, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, as well as in Montana. And what the agencies did in order to try and prevent the spread was implement this module as one policy where each crew operates in sort of a self-contained functions as a self-contained unit. So the Flathead Hotshots, for example, 20 men and women, when they're out fighting fires, they basically stick to themselves and function just as a self-contained unit. So if there is an outbreak, they're able to track that exposure within themselves rather than, you know, try and figure out what other agencies, what other crews they've mingled with throughout the fire camp. And, and, and that's what they did. It sounds pretty basic, but, but it, it seems to be working. And, and often these, you know, these crews tend to function pretty independently. That's sort of the, the purpose of the hotshot crew is to be able to mobilize quickly send them to uh, whatever fire is demanding their resources, either in Montana or out of state, get them there quickly, do the job, and then bring them back and on to the next fire. And then uh, I know with the Flathead Hotshots, that Module is One model was put to the test when there was a confirmed case of COVID-19. What happened that you were able to discover and, and how did the crew respond to that positive test? Well, so what happened was the Flathead Hotshots were, were working on a fire. Um, this was the, about a 12-acre fire on Elevation Mountain south of Sealy Lake near the Clearwater Junction. And one of the crew members reported not feeling well. So as part of the, the screening protocol, every member of a wild, wildland fire crew has to go through sort of a checklist, a self-assessment every morning and report to their supervisor if they are um, feeling any symptoms that align with a potential COVID-19 diagnosis. In this case, one of the crew members was not feeling well, reported to their supervisor. They were isolated. This person was isolated, tested, the test uh, came back positive, at which point the entire crew was tested. Three of the crew members tested positive out of 20, and, the, and they, so, so they were put into quarantine. So all of the individual firefighters then had to, had to quarantine for 14 days. They were taken offline. Those resources were, were not available for the duration of the quarantine. Now, in addition to the, the Flathead Hotshot crew, all of the other resources and personnel who were on the fire were also put through the gamut of tests and um, and it did not had not spread outside of the hotshot module. So, you know, they they 
pointed to that as evidence that this module is one philosophy seems to be working to at least contain it within, you know, these individual cells that operate independently in a fire camp. What happened to this particular fire? You say now it was not necessarily that large. A 12-acre fire is is pretty mild for uh, for wildfire season. But what happened in this case when the hotshots were taken offline? Well, it turns out that they, so they'd been on this fire for about six days, and and at which point it was starting to wind down. This was not a fire that was you know threatening structures, but it was near a highway and it was burning in really thick timber along steep terrain. So it did require a lot of resources to suppress and to contain. Uh, the fire has since been put out, and like I said, they were on, they were in the process of buttoning it up when when the hotshots were taken offline, but. Had it been a, a different kind of scenario, you know, who knows, who knows what could have happened. Because it is an, an interagency cooperative agreement, they would have been able to probably siphon resources from somewhere else. And right now, the nation is at what they call preparedness level five, which means that all resources are, are being used uh, at one time. In those cases, they can draw from international resources. They've been talking to partners in Australia and Canada to try and bring in uh, additional firefighters as needed. They also have the U.S. military availability. But again, you know, with, with the, the number of wildfires that we're seeing right now across the West, although Montana has been fortunate, there, uh, there's a dire need for those resources right now. You say that where are the uh, the where is the Flathead Hotshot crew right now? As of yesterday, August thirty first, I checked in with the Flathead Hotshot Superintendent Sean Borian, and he had just come out of quarantine because of the way uh, that the the tests rolled back. The Hotshot crew members were at different stages of quarantine. He had finished his quarantine yesterday and was en route to California to assist in the fires that we've all been reading and hear about that are devastating northern portions of the state there. So he's on his way to another fire. And of course, you know, when various agencies are implementing these policies, one of the big concerns is that you'll have somebody exposed in one state and then they're sent to another state to, to work on a fire there. So there's always the, the potential for, for cross-contamination. In this case, he had, he had completed his quarantine, had a clean bill of health, and he was off to fight another fire. Before I let you go, is there anything else? Are there other policies that uh, have been implemented in regard to how wildfires are being fought this season because of the pandemic? One of the interesting policies that I, I did not get to in this cover story is the, the nature of initial attacks. So in the last 40, 50 years, the, the United States has really seen a departure from what characterized wildland firefighting suppression efforts in the first half of the 20th century, which was put it out, you know, as soon as there's smoke, we saw Smokey Bear, you know, telling us all to put our campfires out. And as soon as there was any kind of smoke, our forest officials tried to snuff that fire out. We've since learned a lot about fire ecology and the importance of allowing fire behavior to play out across the natural landscape. And when there are not, when it does not pose a threat to structures and human lives, that's been that's been an elegant solution, allowing these fires to burn. Of course, it does cause those smoky skies, but it's been good for the, for the health of the forest. With these aggressive initial attacks, they're really trying to snuff out these fires before 
they turn into you know multiple hundred acre blazes that require resources to be on site for weeks and months at a time at which point the potential for COVID-19 to spread is greatly exacerbated so that's been that's been a big change in forest policy and I, it, it's only going to take time to see how those um, more aggressive suppression efforts play out in terms of uh, landscape scale effects. Tristan, great to talk to you as always, and thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. Many thanks once again to Tristan Scott for sharing his insights and for his terrific story in this week's Beacon, It's Like Fighting a Ghost. You can read that right now for free at flatheadbeacon.com or see it in the always free edition of the printed paper available throughout Northwest Montana. Now, here are the biggest stories in the Flathead Valley from the last seven days as of 8 p.m. on Tuesday, September 1st. The novel coronavirus continues to infect Montanans at a steady rate, according to numbers compiled by the Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services, with the state eclipsing 7,500 total cases as of Monday. More than 1,900 of those cases are active, 300 more than this time a week ago, and cases continue to be reported from every corner of the state. That said, Flathead County remains one of Montana's hotspots, with 114 active cases according to DPHHS, and 14 people here are hospitalized. Last week, a major outbreak ripped through a long-term care facility, Whitefish Care and Rehabilitation, with 41 people now infected, including 27 residents. Five people who contracted the virus at the facility have already died, bringing the countywide total to eight since the pandemic began. The director of Whitefish Care and Rehab, Reed Crickmore, told the Beacon the outbreak stemmed from an asymptomatic person. Elsewhere, the city of Kalispell will move its council meetings online for the foreseeable future, after two recent meetings had to be abruptly ended. That happened when attendees in the council chambers refused to put on masks as required by mandate of the governor. Both of those meetings, one on August 3rd and the other on August 19th, were rescheduled for the following day and conducted remotely. Not wanting a repeat, the council voted last week to make the change. City manager Doug Russell noted Kalispell will join a number of other large Montana cities, including Billings, Bozeman, Butte, Helena, and Missoula, in holding their city council meetings via video conference. In other news, the city of Whitefish has formally filed with the Flathead County District Court to change the name of Lost Coon Lake. The petition, filed on behalf of 12 of the 21 property owners with land abutting the 61-acre lake, cites references to the lake's original name, which was N-Word Lake, and says that Lost Coon was a, quote, compromise solution settled on in the 1980s. Coon can be used as a pejorative term for African Americans. The property owners are seeking to formally attach the name Lost Loon Lake which has been used by Whitefish Lake Golf Club on its scorecard and other signage for years. The court will schedule a time to hear public comment on the name change in the near future. If the change is approved, paperwork will be filed to the Secretary of State early next year. 
And finally, a 62-year-old Columbia Falls man has died after the fishing pontoon he was in flipped on the North Fork of the Flathead River in Glacier National Park. Ronald Newton was apparently helping two other members of his float party untangle their boats from a rock when his vessel capsized, sending him into the water and rendering him unconscious. Newton was quickly pulled from the water, but died despite more than an hour of resuscitation attempts. He was not wearing a life jacket or helmet at the time of the accident. The cause of death has not been determined. That's all for our show this week. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast, and leave us a rating or review to help other people find the show. And don't forget, you can read all the latest news from Northwest Montana for free at flatheadbeacon.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.